Forward at 6'7 from Memphis, number 45, Cedric Henderson. Out to Henderson, and Henderson exhibiting a nice jumper. And Henderson working the two-man game. Henderson goes through the lane. Move from Cedric Henderson. Knight swings it. Henderson. Boy, he's got a real nice pull-up jumper. Kemp double team gets the feed to Henderson. Backs it in and a foul. Henderson. Nice baseline slam from Cedric Henderson. Line Cedric Henderson got the ball, as you can see. A little fake. Up and over. Herb Williams with a slam dunk. Cavaliers with numbers, said Henderson will fly to the hole and throw down off the Brevin Knight assist. Cedric Henderson took the no-look from Bob Surin, threw down. 12-point fourth quarter for Ced Henderson. Oh, that was a great basket I had at. Going hard to the hole. Cedric Henderson. What's up, everybody? Not My House Podcast is in your house. This is Eric, your host, and our co-host, Zach, is in the house. Zach, what's going on here, my friend? Just excited, man. We got one of my favorite players to come out of Memphis, and I'm just really excited to talk to him today. Absolutely. He's a Memphis Tiger alum, and he's the 44th overall pick of the 1997 NBA draft by the Cleveland Cavaliers. Played five seasons in the NBA, many more overseas. Mr. Cedric Henderson, how are you doing today, sir? I'm doing great. Thanks, guys, for having me on this morning. Absolutely. Thanks for being on with us. So it looks like you were born and raised in Memphis, Tennessee. What was it like for you growing up as a kid in Memphis? It was like any other kid, basically. You know, you had a childhood friends, neighborhood friends, and hung out, played a lot of sports. You know, that's what we did in our neighborhoods. There wasn't too many other activities going on. So it was pretty pretty easy. Yeah. Now, speaking of sports, what are the, did you start Little League Baseball? Was that the first sport you started? or what, what, what I started, started playing. I started playing uh, a little football, a little baseball. All, I was kind of all over the place. Um, so I wasn't really focusing on basketball. And then, like, my junior year, I went to Bellevue Middle School. And uh, Coach Jones was the first guy saying, look, dude, you're like 6'3". Hey, we're going to put you on the basketball floor. I never had played until <laughs> then. So I was like, all right, cool, you know. So that's so you, never, how you never played, like, in the neighborhood? Like just no, I mean, you know, you play, you play pickup, you know, yeah. around, but it wasn't like I played for a team. Like today, kids in the fourth grade are already on the AAU travel team, you know. I, right. I wasn't doing that. I, <laughs> it was just, you know, we, to be honest, we were still doing, doing milk crates and stuff like that. So <laughs> That's awesome. What, uh, when did you start taking basketball seriously? You, t- you talked about that, you know, that experience right now, but when did you start taking it serious when you had an idea like, hey, you know what, I, I, I'm actually pretty good at this? After my sophomore year at East High School, uh, I felt like that summer was a big summer for me. Uh, I had a lot of success. I was my first year playing for a travel team, and that was the Y, well, Yamaka back in the day, the YOMCA. Um, and then I got exposed, you know, out there and started going to camps and things like that. So probably after my sophomore year when I, when I got – when everything just kind of started happening real fast – I started thinking like, okay, I need to start working on my game because, you know, people think I can play. So I wanted to be good, you know, so after that sophomore year at East High School. Yeah, and speaking of your game, I always felt that you're somebody who took a lot of pride in his defense and uh, you took a lot of pride in making teams better, whatever it was you had to do. So my question is, who are some of the guys that you really admired or studied growing up? Some of the guys you tried to emulate your game after? Because defense to me isn't really a easy thing for young players to study and emulate. Well, first of all, I was definitely a big Scottie Pippen fan. Uh, 
I felt like, you know, his game was kind of similar to mine's, and, and that's a guy I watched a lot. Um, then I used to watch Derek Hopper. Uh, people don't realize that guy was a monster on defense. We played for the Dallas Mavericks, and um, then he went to New York and started guarding the Bulls in that day. So he was, he was always the guy guarding Michael Jordan. So, you know, I started kind of paying attention to things like that to see guys really – uh, how they how they played against some of the best players defensively. So, but for sure, definitely, my Scottie Pippen was one of my guys I really studied a lot uh, with his long length, and he was kind of like the new style of uh, of a of a small four who can guard one through four type guy. Yeah, and that makes a lot of sense now that you say it. And you know, what was the high school scene like in Memphis as far as like the intensity? Because that's a city that's really known for its hoops. I mean, uh, were you growing up any familiar names? Oh, yeah, for sure. Uh, you know, Sylvester Ford, I don't know if y'all know him, Deuce Ford. He was uh, at Farley at the time, so he was the big name at the time when I was coming out. Uh, he had, had a great team at Farley with Vincent Rainey and a couple more guys, guys that played on that team. Uh, and then you had uh, Kingsbury, who had some guys, you probably don't know the name of them, but he's called Maypoo and Cedric, uh, I forget the last name guy. They were real good in our district, too. So uh, Memphis basketball was big, at, I mean, from what we were growing up. It wasn't you know, kind of like what these kids do today, you know, they transfer and kind of click in together, but it was all about you, you play with each other in the summertime, but when you went to school, it was like, I'm going to East and I see you, you know, during the season type thing. So it was a lot of kids like that. Yeah. And you mentioned about the summertime games. What about AU? I mean, AU has changed a lot since you last played, but um, how did AU help your game and what are your thoughts on how it's evolved um, over the years? Well, AAU back then was, was was simple. It was a sub-state, state, and nationals. That was pretty much it, you know. Uh, and it was only probably 20 games in the summertime. The, the way it is going now is like, you know, you play 40 games in the summer, you know, almost another season uh, with today's AAU games. And, you know, you have kids now who even think about playing more summer ball than they do even school ball. So that was the difference. But for in my case, though, AAU was big for me. Uh, Bobby Dodd was our guy who was, you know, doing the thing. And I got a chance to play with Lorenzen Wright uh, when he came in. So he he got onto that crew. It was me, Lorenzen, uh, Chris Garner, Chris Lee. We had a nice team. And then we combined it with uh, – uh, what's the guy that came from Kentucky? I can't think of his name uh, – end up playing for Kentucky in, from Tennessee because we kind of combined it all together. Vincent Rainey was all on the team. And we played – and we ended up going like, – getting like second place in the Nationals because we ended up going against teams like the Stackhouse, Boo Williams, uh, the Allen Iverson teams, uh, you know, the Rasheed Wallace and all these guys who were playing. So it was a big venture, and that was like the mega of it. But now you got the Peach Jam, you got – under armor circuit you got <laughs> you got so many circuits you just go you know choose which one it is so it's a whole different monster now than what it was when I played in the summertime but it was a big step for me as far as recruiting and getting out of there and exposed I think that's how I got invited to the Nike uh tournament uh camp by playing AAU basketball yeah and I mean what can you tell us about the Nike camp because I mean that was before it was what it is today I believe right. I mean what was your experience like with that It was awesome I mean you got to see you know at our time Randy Livingston was that guy uh I don't know a lot of guys don't probably know who Randy Livingston is but in my era he was that guy uh, I mean they was all I mean, they, he was like the one and done type kid so you got to see all these names and stuff uh, you know I, that's the first time I met Antonio McDice uh you know, Randy Livingston, who else played down there? I mean, it was so many. Uh, Jock Vaughn, 
all these guys uh, playing in this Nike, and it was like a camp. You know, they taught us about the school. They showed us how, you know, things were going on. It was like a teaching moment than anything. And you kind of knew if you made it to this group, this is probably who they're going to select to be probably in the McDonald's All-Star game type thing going on. So it was a battle every night. You know, you get to see Dick Vitale come make great speeches. Uh, Coach K get to teach you, you know, I mean, John Thompson. I mean, that was the biggest man I ever met in my life, you know, <laughs> you know, at the time. So it was like you meeting all these great coaches at this camp. And I think that was very, very at that time was probably the best thing experience of my young career. Cause to I because I didn't know, you know, just being from Memphis, you know, you knew the guys around your area, but then you get to meet everybody from the, throughout the country who's just as good as you. So it was a great experience uh, to have that. You know, you bring a good point up about that too, because this is this is before the internet blows up. Right. So the first time you're meeting <laughs> these guys going, who's this dude? Who's this cat? You know, um, who do you think was, uh, looking back on it, because, I mean, you, you brought us some great names. I mean, McDice was a monster. Yes. Um, who, who do you think was the best guy that you watched in those camps? Like who was the one guy you were like, this guy's NBA bound for sure. Well, when I first, I want to say I met Charles O'Bannon at that camp. I thought he was like the first wing guy. Cause you know, in, in my area, you six, five, six, six, you was, you know, you was at the basket, you know, you know, here come Charles O'Bannon at six, seven out there playing like a two guard. And I was like, but when I saw Randy Livingston though, that was like, I was like, yo, who would know? Everybody's like, here's Randy, here's Randy. I was like, who is this guy? And Randy was that first point guard who can give you 40, 10, and 10. You know, he was a triple. He was like the next coming of Jason Kidd, you know, because I was a little bit behind Jason Kidd. We were as a 93 group, but Jason Kidd was, you know, that guy. And Randy Livingston was supposed to be the next guy coming up. And then you had Ronnie Henderson. I don't know if you remember that name. Mm-hmm. He can shoot the peel off the ball. I was, you know, like, uh, then you had Keith Booth. You remember Keith Booth? Oh, yeah, I know Keith. Yeah, he's from Maryland. Yeah, he's a, yeah. So you had, you had Keith Booth. I mean, it was a lot of good names in that 93 class. And, I mean, I can't I can't go through all of them right now. But, you know, it was – I know Antonio Medice will always be in my mind because I've never seen a 6'9". I mean, y'all don't understand how high this guy was jumping and yeah. was just dunking on everybody. Like, it was like – yeah, I mean, it was like unreal, you know, and then, you know, his skill sets wasn't great, but when you can jump like he jumped, who cares about a hook shot? You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah, right, right. He was like the most explosive guy I've seen in my life. Well, in that game, the game was different back then, too, compared to is now. So a guy like that, athleticism wise, you know, working down low, I mean, you know, right. that's where you make your bread and butter. And I mean, you know, barring that knee injury, McDyche would have had a great career in the NBA. Yeah, I think so, too. I mean, people don't realize when he was with Steve Nash with Phoenix that one year, um, they were hard to beat. I yeah. Mean, they, they were real hard to beat. Well, when he was a nugget, he was a 2010 guy. Oh, yeah, for you sure. Know what I mean? He was yeah. definitely one of those guys, for sure. So being from Memphis, was it always a dream to play for Memphis, or was there any other schools you were considering going to? Did you have some a bunch of letters coming in, or, or were you set on Memphis? Uh, honestly, I wasn't. Uh, I wasn't going to come to Memphis because I felt like Anthony was going to come back. Hardaway's going to come back. So I was like, I'm not, he, you know, he was, we were kind of, you know, not the same player, but same position. So I was like, well, he's going to play all this playing time. And I got this school telling me I can play right away. Um, 
my mom definitely wanted me to go to Vanderbilt because, you know, she was all about the education and she was like, oh, you got to go to Vanderbilt. Uh, then I had Georgetown I was really, real interested in too at the yeah. time. And I just didn't know anything about what was going on in Georgetown because I didn't know who else was coming. So, right. but when Penny came, he picked me up. He's like, look, I'm going pro. We're going to do this. We're going to do that. I was like, oh, for real? It was like, then it was like, we're going to try to, you know, you're going to get all this plant time. You're going to be the next guy. So they kind of sold it and made a, made a great run at the end. And I said, okay, it'll be cool to play home. So that's what made me uh, choose to come home when I knew he was going to leave and I knew I had the opportunity to play right away. And there's a ton of guys on that team from the Memphis area, right? Yeah. In fact, that, we had that never ten, happened, right? Basically. Yeah. We, we had 10 guys from Memphis on that roster. I think uh, during those four years, I was there probably at the time. Wow. That's yeah, I mean, that, I mean, that's, that's got to be a special thing to have such a family environment with a bunch of hometown guys, right? I mean, your chemistry must have been through the roof. Yeah, because we knew, we knew each other. We, we played with each other all summer. And, and, you know, the great thing was, you know, we didn't have to worry about guys leaving town, you know, and then say, oh, well, he's gone for the summer. We won't see him. Man, we had way more battles in the summertime because we got the guys who came back who went out of town playing against us. So we were just basically still the same team. Yeah. Playing guys from out of town, and we play. Man, it's been some epic battles at the field house over there in the summertime. Trust <laughs> me, there were some games over there. Yeah, I bet. I mean, you guys were a lot of fun to watch too. And you made a couple tournament runs, and uh, yet, including a Sweet Sixteen run, you guys lost to the Forty Minutes of Hell Arkansas team by two. And then uh, the following year, you lost a tough one to Drexel in the first round. So I got to ask, which loss hurt the most out of those two? But definitely the Arkansas one was definitely the worst um, because we had the game. We were up, and, uh, and then Larry decided to go to a 2-3. I remember that. He was like 2-3 zone. He was like, no, nah, Larry, we, we good. Cause I, and he was trying to protect David Vaughn at the time because he had picked up like a four foul or whatever. We was like, no, we, just, we, we all right. We're just going to play man. He's like, no, nah, we're going to go zone. Soon as we went zone, <laughs> Scotty Thurman hits two doggone threes. And it was like, oh my God. And then <laughs> and then then we come down and then, you know, the, the greatest call in the world was the foul call on Chris Garner with the hand checking for Corey Beck to tie the game at the free throw line. And we knew by the time we got to overtime, we kind of we were still a kind of an immature team. So when we lost momentum, it kind of just drained us in overtime. So it was like uh we fought, but you know, we felt like if we would have got over that team, over that game. I don't think anybody else, because we were pretty much the similar same team. We pressed and ran to. Uh, we probably would have – I mean, like, you saw what they did to the next two teams. They ended up winning the national championship. So, yeah. We felt, yeah. What, that, we felt like that was our opportunity right then and there. And uh, Jacksonville, I think uh, – we don't count that one as a bad one because guys had other agendas that <laughs> we went to Drexel that night. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> that's all I'm gonna say about that. <laughs> yeah. There's a lot of other things going on. Guys didn't even care. I mean, we were we was in some other world. I was just like, and then we we uh, we we really underestimated them. Like we we was like, oh, who is Malik Rose? He's nobody. He's like Shaq on the mag. He's like his six five center. We was like, <laughs> <laughs> he was like, yeah, he's he like a six five center. But he, yeah. I think of like twenty five and fifteen. Oh yeah, game. oh man, trust me, he killed us. We was like, dude, yo, dude can play. Like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just a big, wide body. But uh, 
going back to Arkansas really quick, um, was it that exhausting playing a team like that? I mean, they, they called them the 40 minutes of hell team. I mean, was it really that exhausting to play against them? It, 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 honestly, it wasn't the 40 minutes. They were smart. They, they sold an image real well. Because if you go back and watch them, they play a lot of 2-3 zone. Yeah. Go back and watch them. They, they really was just wanted you to speed up and, and feel like we playing this 40 minutes of hell type things. And it was just a gimmick to get you to play faster. We knew it because we hadn't seen them like three times. You know, you got to think we played this team, you know, more than once. You know, they came to our place. We played them here. We played them there. So it wasn't like we weren't prepared for what they were going to do. Uh, and we were playing the same kind of style of basketball, too. If you go back and look at us, we were just running and gunning and pressing, too. So we were ready for it. It was it, it was a game made for us to win, put yeah. it that way. You know, after – after you leave Memphis, what was the draft process like for you? Like, oh, man, I didn't realize that I was at one point in time thought I was ever going to get tired of traveling and doing basketball because I was the guy who had to go to every workout, you know, because I wasn't projected the first round guy, whatever. So whatever team call, I was going and I probably had like 12 workouts, you know, and, and they'll be. I try to make sure they was all on the West Coast. I try to do all those and then all on the East Coast, try to do those or whatever. Uh, and the funniest part was Cleveland was the easiest work I ever had. Like, it was like, we was in there for an hour. It was like, all right, we gone. But the workouts were very intense. You know, they push you to your limits. You know, it, you know, they kind of do the, uh, I guess it's their st- version of stress tests, you know, make you lift weights real hard, shoot real hard and say, all right, we're going to play three on three type deal. So it was like real fast. And you usually spend about two days there and you probably have five more guys there with you. Working out, it's kind of similar, probably, you know, small fours. And I probably had a couple of power fours working out with me. Uh, but it was very, I mean, like, you're talking about, like, tired. I was, like, flying. I never flew so many days in a row. Like, I was, sure. like, Monday I'm in Boston. By Wednesday I'm in Philly. Thursday I'm in Milwaukee. All right, you got to go West Coast now. So it was very intense because I was, like I said, I had, then I had to go to Portsmouth. Chicago and Phoenix. So I had to do all those camps, you right. know, so I can make sure my name. See, nowadays it's, I think it's just maybe Portsmouth and Chicago now. So it's a well, little bit. Longer. It's kind of funny too, because we do hear that. It's almost like the, it's almost like the moving up the ladder from some of the guys talking about, you know, you went here and then, Oh, you got invited to Phoenix and then right. oh, you invited <laughs> to that. Right. Now um, what was draft night like for you? Did you have an idea of where you were going to go? Did you have a party, a little party at your house? I mean, what t- talk to us about draft night. Oh man. Draft night was nervous. Cause you know, you, you know, you, you're sitting there and hoping that you did enough and said the right things to these people. Cause, and, um, and that somebody likes you, you know, right. um, I'm, I'm in there. I'm at my mom and my mom's house. We're not doing no party and thing. We're just sitting there. Um, just hanging out, really. In fact, I started playing my, uh, I think at the time was a Sega <laughs> with my cousin. <laughs> so I could kind of get distracted. I was like, hey, let's play some, you know, NBA Live. You know, you probably don't remember that game. but that's- No, I do. I, I, <laughs> we're about the same age, man. I do. Because I have a question. No, we- I have a question I'm going to ask you after this. So continue. <laughs> yeah, so we were probably sitting there playing NBA Live. And, you know, I was nervous. And, um, you know, and then when my name got called, you know, you know, it was just a, Great feeling, though. It was a proud moment. You know, my mom was happy. My father was happy. My sisters, my whole family was just there, you know, in support of it. You know, we just sat there and, you know, 
you know, celebrated at home and just chilled. And I didn't really do it. I'm, I'm really, you know, I always been kind of like a quiet guy. So I never really was a party guy and all that type of stuff. So it was just enjoyable just to have my family smile and be happy, you know, uh, about the situation. Well, yeah. And then working to that final goal. I mean, it's gotta right. be so fulfilling to be like your name's called. So here's my question. You brought, you, we were talking about this before while we were waiting for you to log on in. And I was like, we've had all these NBA guys on, Zach. We've never asked anybody the question of, of like, did you play yourself in a video game? <laughs> right? Like, and it was one of those questions. I'm like, you know, I'm like, one of us made the NBA. So we're like, you had to have played as yourself, right? Like, you had to have when you got well, you, 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 right? you try not You try not to say you did, but right. like, you know, everybody did. Like, as soon as, like, it, uh, I, I think it was uh, – well, Boston, play for Boston, 99, NBA Live 99. Who was that on the front of that? Antoine thing? Walker. Antoine yeah. Walker, right? <laughs> so Antoine Walker's come out. We got the NBA Live 99. You know, guys are up and oh, now we going to do this. Man, everybody picked the, pick the team they playing. So it's like, <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah, hey, man, look, dude, I'm playing with me, man. I'm starring. Like, you know, it's like. You know, he, come on. You, you, you do it. Like, he was you know. laying 40 on the Bulls or whatever. Oh, come on, man. <laughs> oh, I, had, I did a whole season one year. I did a whole season. I averaged like 39. You know, we won a, we won the NBA title. Plus, we got to understand, it was on rookie level, too, though. So, it wasn't, I, were, I wasn't you, uh, <laughs> were you Were you disappointed in your rankings or were you excited about your rankings? Was it always like, I really, oh, I really, I really didn't care about this crap. You know, that's that's for them to, to make their own opinions. I didn't care. Yeah. My guy was going to be good. I was going to be good regardless. So, I, I didn't care. Uh, as long as he can dunk and, and steal a ball every once in a while. I couldn't shoot three. So, I mean, I wasn't too crazy about that, but it, it was okay. That's amazing. Hey, one question I want to ask you, because I'm always curious about this. When you're sitting home and you're watching the draft, are you thinking of teams that could you use you? Like, and you're like, oh, you know what? Detroit could use a player like me, like when Detroit's on the clock. Are you thinking that way? Like, as you're looking down the draft board that night, like as teams are drafting? Well, as of going on, I was looking at depth charts. You know, you, you got to right. start looking at like, What's on a depth chart? And, and I'm, I was probably, you know, I was small forward, you know, a little bit three, four type guy. So I'm sitting there like, okay, how many guys they got at this spot? And that's what I was looking at most of the time. They, you know, that's, that's how my agent at the time was looking at the whole thing. It was like, you know, you got to see where can you fit in, you know, and get opportunity. You know, right. worst care scenario, you go in as a free agent in, into, you know, uh, camp. You know, like that. So you're looking at depth chart, you're looking at opportunities. And and when I looked at I, I thought I really, really want I really thought Seattle was gonna pick me up because I ended up doing two workouts for them that year, uh, before the draft. So at that time I think they had um uh, what's what's the uh, white guy? I mean I, I can't think of his name. Della oh, Shrimp. Uh, Shrimp, yeah. He was getting older in age and they were looking for youth. Um uh, they were looking for somebody to kind of bag them up, you know, have a little young, and they were a good team at the time too. And, yeah. and I, and I enjoyed, I didn't George enjoyed being around George Carl. He was so laid back, you know, he was an honest guy, you know, a lot of coaches kind of, you know, BS you a little bit and you can kind of tell what they, you know, like, oh yeah. But this guy was like, you know, Hey, your jump shot a little weak, but man, your defense is strong. Your legs are strong. You're athletic. I mean, he was just straight, forward honest and I couldn't do nothing but respect that and I and I really needed that because that's what I was looking for uh in that time um but don't get me wrong Cleveland was 
honest in a way, because Wayne Emery at the time was, they were in a kind of like, are we going to revamp this thing or are we going to stay with what we have? And they had three first round draft picks. I mean, not, not two first round draft picks at the time. And I felt like they were pretty deep at a uh, small forward because they had like three guys. And I didn't know if they were going to get rid of those guys or they're going to keep them or whatever, uh, however they played out. Uh, they had the guy from UConn, Marshall, not the tall one, but the bright skinned guy, Donnie Marshall. I think that's what his name was. Uh, they had the guy from Antonio Lang from Duke yep. there. So it was like, you know, it felt like they were deep. So I felt like Seattle was had a better chance because they only had that shrimp, you know, and the other guys were they weren't going to resign. So, but things work out. We don't know. And they get in those board, those rural rooms. You never know what's going to happen right there. So, yeah, and, and Cleveland was an interesting team too because I feel like they gave it their all against Chicago in those series before. Right. And mm-hmm. you're right. They felt like a transitional team, you know, even going through the uniform changes and whatnot. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, right. it's kind of like, you know, that, I mean, they got beat up a lot in the East. I'm a, I'm a Knicks fan. I grew up as a Knicks fan. So I remember okay. it was always Cleveland every year, but Cleveland was just never getting past Chicago, never. And it just, it seemed like they were an interesting team, obviously. And then, you know, LeBron comes and then that changes. Yeah, the top, right. <laughs> For sure. Right. right. Um, what was training camp like for you being a second round pick, trying to get a guaranteed contract and what feedback were you getting from the coaches on what you needed to do to make the roster? Man, I, I really wasn't trying to uh, be that guy worried about that stuff. I was just like, I'm going to do what I need to do and I'm going to do what I do best. Cause you know, we played now you had Utah, you had Orlando and then I think it was another summer league at the time. So when we got drafted, we had to we had to play in all those. And I was, they were asking me, to, they kind of do a trick question to you. They say, well, what do you, which one you want to play in? You know, trying to see where your head is. And I was like, sure, I play in all of them. I ain't got nothing to do. I play in all of them. So uh, I played in every last one of them, except for the last one. I think it was, in, I want to say it was in Atlanta. I don't know which one it was, but I didn't play in the last one because they they felt like they seen enough. They was like, hey, we've seen enough. We go, go ahead. Uh, then here comes um, training camp. Now, mind you, training camp went, it's not like what it is today. You know, we was doing two weeks. Basically, you were doing three weeks because they want you to wear a week earlier. Uh, and they just kind of wear you out. Um, and they had – we probably had like 20, 25 guys there at the time, you know, just just to have the depth, real long depth charts, you know, by that first for that first week. And the whole thing in my mind was just like nobody's going to outwork me. Period. I'm just going to outwork. When we run sprints, whatever we're doing, I'm just going to outwork. I knew my limitations as far as shooting the ball as deep as I wanted to shoot, but I knew I had a decent mid-range shot. So I'm going to take the shots I know how to make. And if I get a chance to dunk it, I'm going to dunk it as hard as I can. Then if I don't get the ball, I'm just going to – the guy who I'm guarding is not going to get the ball. Because, you know, it's, it's, it's just – you have guys who come in camp saying, well, I'm going to shoot it every time I touch it. You know, you got a lot of crazy things going on in camp. So my thing was like, well, I'm just going to defend real crazy be who I am and just go from there. And it turned out to be the right choice to make. Yeah. I mean, you, you showed out as a rookie. I mean, you played great, but uh, I have a funny rookie question for you and we get some really interesting answers every time we ask this, but did you have any rookie duties? I mean, were you having to go get Scott Brooks, the morning paper, anything like that? Man, listen here. All right. So they was like, they was like, all right, you gotta get donuts. Okay. 
So the donut place next to me was Dunkin' Donuts. So I'm going to go to Dunkin' Donuts. You think that'll satisfy everybody. You know, it's donuts. That's all they cared about. <laughs> and I come in there, I got, you know, almost like 50 donuts in my hands. I'm thinking I'm doing a good job. I lay them all out. And here comes, um, I think it was Bob Sewer at the time. He's like, man, who eats Dunkin' Donuts? And I'm like, <laughs> Everybody, you know, like who brought Dunkin' Donuts? And I'm thinking, I'm like, it's 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 okay, you know. And he was just like, man, nobody eat no Dunkin' Donuts. Man, we like Krispy Kremes. And I'm like, okay, where's the Krispy Kreme? Now, mind you, I'm I'm a rookie, so I'm standing at a hotel downtown. I don't know where Krispy Kremes is. So he's like, all right. Next time he threw all the donuts away and all, they just went off, went crazy. And he's like, ah, oh, man, next time we got to get a rookie that know what they're doing, blase, blase. So I was like, I'm going to look at Google Krispy Kreme. Man, mind you, Krispy Kreme was an hour away in Akron. <laughs> I'm like, yo, dude, I'm not going no damn Krispy Kremes, you know. <laughs> yeah, man, practice at nine. I'm like, I got to get up at seven or six and just drive an hour there to get some Krispy Kreme an hour back. But that's the type of stuff they do to us. But it was fun. I did it anyway because I, I was like, all right, shit, I just got to do it. You know, it's one of the things you got to do. And I did it. And then, and then, and then uh, so Sean Kemp, you know, kind of picked me up and I became his rookie for a while, right? So the jokes they used to do, so we would order room service. He'll order room service. Now, mind you, I'm not ordering room service. I'm a rookie. I'm, I'm still going out to get a Subway sandwich. You know what I'm saying? Right. I get a meal <laughs> at the front desk. I'm like, Whoa, 300 bucks? I'm like, oh, 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 I didn't order anything. He charging all his food to my room. So, you know, rookie, rookie jokes like that, Just, I mean, it's, you get hazed the whole year. It's just part of the game. Yeah, it's all in fun, and we love hearing oh, those yeah. stories, you know, because those are the stories that you don't hear enough about, you know, if, for the average fan. But right. um, I, I have another one for you, and this is another one where we get a lot of interesting answers. But what was your welcome to the league moment? And what I mean by that was who's the first guy to really burn you to where you're thinking, like, damn, I'm in the NBA? Well, we were playing Minnesota preseason, right? And Sam Mitchell was on the team and Garnett and all these guys. So, you know, and, and I'm a, I mean, like, I'm probably coming off the bench playing by 20 minutes, you know, preseason, whatever. So this day, though, we playing in St. Louis. My mom's there. I, I didn't you know everybody drove up to St. Louis, close, close game, whatever. And I'm excited and whatever. And Sam Mitchell is out here cooking me. Because <laughs> I'm, I'm out here, because, you know, Garnett is here and everybody's kind of concentrating on this. And, you know, I'm the trap guy. Or, but, I'm looking up, I'm like, damn, Sam Mitchell's like six for six from the trade line right now. <laughs> and he couldn't move. You're thinking like, he can't move. And he just, I did just went, wow, wow. And I said, well, screw this. I'm, forget my assignments. I'm not guarding Garnett anymore. You know, I mean, trapping on that. I'm, I'm going to stay with Sam Mitchell. And as soon as I did that, Garnett does some type of spin move or something. And I didn't rotate, and I'm talking about man, uh, Vitaly Potapenko got smashed on hard, like boom, and all I hear, said you are here screwing up, man. You don't know that dude. I was like, yeah, I'm in the league because you know, people don't understand. They call you out on everything because they don't want to get dunk on and highlighted on and all this stuff. So, I think that first that that game right there kind of made me realize like I gotta get my crap together. Like I can't come out here half assing because. Sam Mitchell, who's, you know, he's a good ball player. Don't get me wrong. I'm not taking away from Sam. But at that time, Sam was, you know, step slow and couldn't move. 
and he are cooking me. So I'm yeah. like, I got to bring my A game. And, uh, <laughs> but then another moment was we were playing, uh, I want to say we were about to play Chicago Bulls. This is, you know, the 72 and 10 Chicago Bulls. And uh, I'm coming off the bench and, and coach like, all right, said, you got to go out there and guard Michael. Oh man, I'm sitting there like, for real? Like, yeah, right. <laughs> I'm gonna get Scotty. <laughs> so I run out there to I run out there to uh, Wesley person. I was like, hey, hey, Wes, hey, 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 you get Mike, man. I'm gonna get Scotty. <laughs> Cause I'm sitting and Mike does a little move and, and I'm sitting over there and I'm talking about I suppose a double team and everything. I'm just over there just watching like a fan, like, yo, that's Mike, yo. Like, <laughs> like that's that's Michael Jordan over there. So I mean, like, as a rookie, I don't care who you are unless you just – you you, you kind of – you know, it's all type of moments that happens, man. It's just a f- unbelievable thing because you're like – you've been watching this stuff on TV and then, like, you're here. But once I got over it, calm down and just start playing basketball, dude. Yeah. I mean, you guys played those Bulls teams tough. I think you beat them once your first year. I think you yeah. – yeah, you guys definitely beat them your first year. But were you ever assigned Mike, and what was it like trying to defend him if you did? Well, the biggest thing was, you know, you didn't want to give this guy a reason to play. Like, it was like, man, let him get 25 and be quiet. Because if you start talking to him, he it was just like he needed something to egg come on. So, um, and people don't realize this guy was unbelievably quick and skill set was like, it was crazy. He had great footwork. He knew how to play. The team was so disciplined, like, they were just a good team. And, um, you know, and the biggest thing was is like you had to accept because I was a defender. So I had to really learn to accept the guys I'm guarding going to shoot the ball 25 times or more every night. So I had to get over that because, you know, as a young guy, I was like, man, dude, man, you know, dude just shooting the ball. He hit 50 and they had to worry about it. But if I had him shooting eight for 25, I did my job. Right. You feel what I'm saying? Like, I had to understand the con- bigger concept than just, oh, man, he's shooting the ball. So, when it came to Michael, it was just like, keep him in front of you and don't let him do no exciting plays. I mean, <laughs> you, you know what the exciting plays are. I mean, he ain't got to be a dunk. Just some, you know, quick move. He shake you and, the team, and he, he kind of get a little dance into him. So, you just had to be solid. It's like, I'm going to let him hit these jump shots. I'm just going to keep him in front of me and just let him hit, him, hit those jump shots. And that's basically how you had to – had to guard him. I mean, like it was, we couldn't double team because the trying offense was so um, spread it out in a sense. Cause like, if you double, it was just like, here come a cutter. You, I mean, it was just so much going on. So it was like, you had, it was like an overload all the time. So you had to guard him one-on-one and you just say, all right, shoot this fadeaway jump shot and call it tonight. That's basically right. what you said. Yeah. just had to make it tough. That's all you can I'll do. Make it tough. <laughs> I block one of his shots though. I block one of his shots. So, you know, he's like, oh, okay. He kind of gave me a look like, uh-huh. And, like, and I'm looking at him like, I'm sorry. He's like, <laughs> don't get mad. You know what I'm saying? Because, like, you know, he, you know, he's like, oh, you blocked my shot? Like, you really blocked my shot? I said, all right. So the next play, I mean, he shot it so high. He jumped. And I went to contest. I mean, he shot it. It felt like it went up to the roof and came down because he, he realized I was longer than – than what I was, and I can jump a little bit. So he just started shooting extra high. I'm like, oh, this this not going in. And, man, it went straight up, straight down, man, like it was water. I was like, this is amazing. 
Yeah, that, that's that's awesome stuff right there. Um, I, I have a question. You were going into the lockout year, your second season, and like a lot of guys, dudes showed showed up out of shape. And uh, I understand if you don't want to comment on this, but you heard a lot of stories about Sean Kemp showing up to training camp and being <laughs> over 300 pounds. I mean, do you remember that? And what was your reaction if that's true? I mean, did anybody try to help him with that? No, we, we did. Uh, I mean, but a lot of guys did. I mean – you know, you know, Sean did come in a little heavier than usual, you know, and we tried to, you know, we were just like, hey, man, like, because the thing about it, he was the, our guy, you yeah. know, we, we were going to go through him regardless because he, he got the contract, he got the big money. And then the crazy part is Junis went down, Egoscus went down on us. So we really was leaning on Sean. So, but, uh, you know, it was, it wasn't a bad thing. It was just, you know, we were just trying to get him back in it because the lockout year was so short and so demanding. Like we were playing three games in one week, probably in yeah. three cities. And people don't realize that travel is is a bugaboo on the body. You know, you, you plan in three different cities, three different time zones, maybe. And then you get up trying to play 35 minutes a night at, at your highest peak. And um, so, you know, we, we were, he, you know, I don't think it killed him, but it did help him you know, gaining the weight, whatever. And we don't know what reasons why we were just, you know, just like, wow, you know, but it hurt guys like me because now nobody's double teaming them. You, right. you feel what I'm saying? So I don't get no ISO place. So I, I kind of live for my guy leaving me so I can get my 15 foot jump shot. Cause you double teaming off of me or to slice me, whatever. So, you know, it was easier playing with him when he demanded those type of double teams and stuff. Yeah, and I mean, he's one of my favorite players of all time. I've lived in the Seattle area, and he, I mean, he's a god over there. So I grew oh, up, yeah. you know, loving Sean Kemp. And uh, <laughs> it just seemed like they had him playing out of position in Cleveland, playing a lot of five. And I wondered if that was why he bulked up or, you know, what what it was. Nah, I, well, you know, Shadrun is going down really hurt us. I mean, I, people don't realize how bad that hurt us. I mean, Shadrun Zagoskas was very skilled big man that can really put the ball in a hole. And uh, when he went down, Sean did end up playing a lot of five. Shoot, I ended up playing a lot of four. Um, and I think we picked up Lamont Murray. So we were we were playing a version of small ball, you know, a lot out there, you know. And um, and then, like you said, the game at that time, man, you know, you had two 6'10 guys out there beating you up, like the Davis brothers, you know. You play Indiana, you got Rick Smith and Davis, they're, they're all these big old jokers. And, you know, at, the, at one point in time, Charlotte was huge. You know, you yeah. go back to that Charlotte team, you know, with Glenn Rice and uh, Vlade Divac, you know, those guys. And, you know, so we end up playing a lot of small ball because of Zeke in there, you know. And we had Vitali Potapinko was a backup. I think we tried to pick up Andrew DeClerc, some size to help Sean play out, keep him out on the perimeter. But, you know, he ended up doing playing a lot of five because of, you know, just the speed became a problem at the four because the four was getting a little bit more faster at that time, too, because you end up having guys like um, Glenn Robinson playing a four, uh, you know, Dirk Nowitzki, who was still kind of playing a four. You know, at that time, he was shooting the crap out of the ball. You know, you, the game was changing a little bit at that four spot. You know, the four became a real more powerful position, you know. And people don't realize Tony Kuko played the four for the Bulls the whole time. So now you got Sean Kim away from the basket, you know, trying to guard a guy who's shooting 30 foot a jump shot, so. Yeah. Uh, yeah, and, and I mean, we hear from guys that play with Coach in, in the Euro League that people in America don't understand actually how talented that guy was. 
and right. how it basically looked at him as like the Michael Jordan of or, or, or the Magic Johnson of the Euro League. So you've got a guy like Sean trying to guard him out there. I mean, right. he's going to blow right by him. And, and that's what it was. Yeah, and that was, that's the problem we had a lot of time was so, you know, that ended up putting me at some four some nights because you had guys like Tony Kuko playing the four. You yeah. know, and stretching us out and and and, and making us thin, and uh, and then like you said, a, a Tony McDice at the time was playing the four, who, who was running the floor like a deer. You know, we had to keep somebody on him running up and down the floor. So it was it was a lot of different fours coming in at the time were faster, quicker, and more explosive. So um, you know, putting Sean at the five was kind of helping us out because he became our anchor on, on the backside of defense a lot of time. Yeah, you definitely saw that late 90s, early 2000s, the four, the stretch four definitely changed the game yeah. for sure. Because you had a lot of those big guys that were, you know, I mean, you had guys like Oakley, you know, were 6'9", 250, 260. <laughs> right. Like, survive in this league nowadays playing a stretch four, you know what I mean? I mean, he could play a yeah. five, good Lord. I mean, Houston had – who did Houston have playing this year at center that was like 6'4"? Actually, Russell Wilson was – Russell – Russell Wilson – I mean, Russell – or whatever you guys, and I can't get in there, but he was the five. Westbrook. Westbrook was the five. You know, you know, he was, they was like, Hey, you don't shoot threes no more, dude. Just, just drive. <laughs> <laughs> you, you, know, drive you know, we it brings up an interesting question I want to ask you because you got to play in that lockout year, and then this year, the COVID season. I think those seasons are tougher then people give them credit for and people just say, oh, it was a lockout season. But I almost think those type of seasons, like this season, being in the bubble and the lockout season is tougher because of, like you said, you're playing, you know, three games in three different cities in a week. Right. Do, you, do you feel that way? Do you feel it was it was definitely a harder season to play, that lockout season compared to other seasons? I think it was because you didn't you didn't you didn't get a chance to really practice and, and, and really scout. It was like fast paced everything, you know, um, everything was thrown at you real quick. And the more, I mean, you can, you can go on a five game win streak and you can be in number in, in third place. And then you can go on a five game losing streak and you'd be out the playoffs type yeah. D. So it was the pressure to win was really there. Um, you know, like even when I tell people the sacrifice, you know, you had to make because you had to, you know, just, throw your body and dedicate to the game, to the season, right, right then and there. Uh, and hopefully, you know, you had to do things on your own more than you had to do at the beginning where, you know, you can come in a training camp, get yourself in shape and do all this and all and all. It's all on you now. You know, it's all about your, your dedication to the game and what you want to be able to do. Uh, I think the bubble showed a lot of character this year with the guys making sacrifices, not going home, keeping themselves in what it was three months in a, you know, one place, you know, they're not used to being confined like that, you know, into one little spot. And then, you know, after a while, you know, some guys get a cabin fever. <laughs> like, hey, I'm ready to go home. We ain't going to talk. See, see I knew you were going to wanted some chicken wings, man. <laughs> we're not talking about <laughs> It happens. It happens, but you know they get cabin fever. You know, then they sit there like, "I want to go home," and people don't understand. Like, you know, as an athlete at that high level, you're on a schedule, you're on a routine, you're used to doing kind of the same things and, and doing what you want to do. But when you get in this confinement and you're saying, "All right, you got to go here, got to get rid of this, 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 this," and then you're saying, "Well, you can't leave, huh?" 
well, that, that hurts because you're used to that freedom. And uh, now it's about the sacrifice you make for your team. So the, the lockout year was fast paced. You had to get chemistry fast and then injuries. I mean, you saw guys, I mean, if you go back and look at that lockout year, look how many guys got injured that year. I mean, you had hamstrings, back injuries, ankles, everything was going on. You know, you don't know who was going to be healthy the next night because, you know, they tired or mentally you know, fatigued just because it's going so fast. So I credit those years. I don't take nothing away from it. I think if you win whatever, whatever's going on, I think you should still be crowned the same champion as an 82 game or whatever season it is. Yeah, for sure. And, um, you know, we were talking a little bit earlier about you playing against some of those tough teams. Like you said, the Davis brothers on Indiana, you had Ewing in Oakley, New York, the Pat Riley's heat and obviously the bulls, but having to play a little bit of the four spot, what was the one team where you looked at the schedule and you're just like, damn, like the, the one team you did not want to play. Um, I don't know. I, 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 I didn't have that feeling. I enjoyed playing against all of them. I, I love the competition. I love the challenge. I think that was one of the things I loved about doing this stuff because I enjoyed taking on any kind of challenge. It wasn't like, oh man, we playing nobody. This I used to look at it and like, oh man, we're gonna play. Like, so we playing Charlotte. We gotta play Glenn Rice. I knew I had to guard Glenn Rice all night long. So I'm like, oh, man, I'm gonna get into him or play at Milwaukee. I got a big dog, you know. And big dog wasn't no slouch, but hey, I'm ready. To, hey, I'm ready to go take it, take it on this challenge. So. You know, I was that guy because I really, really wanted to show people that I can play, you know, because, you know, I was I tried not to listen to the noise, but you had to because, you know, that was part of the game. And see, the noise then wasn't Twitter, uh, Facebook and all this. It was ESPN or scouting reports and what they're saying. So it was like more personal to how they saw you as a ball player. So to gain your respect throughout the league, you wanted to go out there and show them, hey, you're not afraid. Because one thing about it now, I mean, back in the city, I don't think guys on the, that it was it was a physical, physical game compared to what it was today's game. I mean, I'm not saying it's not physical now, but you know, you can you you go to the hole. It was the rules, like, hey man, he he don't no layup rule. You know, that was just the, the part of it. I'm not saying you're trying to kill nobody, but it was like, hey, he comes to the hole, he gonna have to earn this you know, type deal going on. So the East back then to me was way more physical with those New York teams, Charlotte and those Chicago's at Miami at the time, uh, Indiana. They, I mean, those teams were just physical. I mean, you, you go in there, you might feel like you've been in a bar fight. You know, you know <laughs> what I'm saying? Like, like chasing Reggie Miller off all these screens and you're getting hit by the Davis brothers, Rick Smith, all these guys. Then you go to New York, you got to play Larry Johnson, Rod, all, I mean, Patrick, you and Charles. I'm like, come on, man. These big old jokers. I'm, I'm 225 at the time, you know what I'm saying? And these dudes, 275, 280 in us, you know, so – it was, I, I love playing the West Coast now. When we played the West Coast, I was happy because I was like, oh, we're going to run. Ain't <laughs> nobody finna hit out here. So we even, only team you feared was, you know, everybody teased like, oh, here comes Shaq. You know, other than that, you know, it was like, all right, we go out as West Coast. We, we do some things, you know, so. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I always thought you were a great defender, like I said earlier. Um, but were you able to get under guys' skin? And, I, I mean, did you have, like, a defensive strategy to really throw certain guys off, especially since you could oh. play a little bit more physical back then, or any good stories about annoying them and mentally taking them out of the game? I, I, I'm going to tell you this. I annoyed Glenn Robinson one night so bad. We were playing Milwaukee, and, you know, he was on a nice little hot streak, right? 
And I, so I was like, all right, forget this. I can't, he ain't finna bust me for no 35 tonight. You know, cause that was like, like I was like, he ain't gonna keep it. <laughs> so I'm to my, I'm, I'm face guarding him. I'm in his face, just bumping him, running down the court the whole time. I'm just, I'm talking, I'm just being a pest. Just no, I ain't saying nothing to him. Just bumping him. Every chance I got, I just hit him. I just bumped him, hit him, hit him. And so he was having a kind of struggle, having a hard night, you know, because I'm, 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 I'm like, I'm in him. I won't worry about no fouls or anything. So by the third quarter, midway to the third, I, he takes a shot and I strip him because I wasn't trying to block his shot because he's 6'9". So I'm stripping him every time because he had kind of like a slow release. And I'm talking, I'm hitting the crap out of his hand. I'm like, <laughs> referee went calling it. Man, he turned around and just shoved the crap out of me. This some bullshit, ref. This motherfucker been hitting me all night. All fucking night. I mean, he was just going. <laughs> and I'm sitting there just laughing like, yeah, I got him. Oh, I got him. So now, once I saw that, I was just, the whole game, I was like, man, ref ain't gonna call you no foul tonight, man. You my boy tonight. Uh, he was just getting this grill. He was, he was so rattled that night. And then I got another one, uh, Glenn Rice. So, you know, Glenn Rice couldn't dribble to me, right? He can shoot, but he really couldn't really dribble and uh -huh. create his own shot. So every time he got the ball, I literally, I'm talking, I was up under his nose. And so he'll pass and then he'll run off another screen, try to get it, and I'll be right up under his nose. And I said, you ain't going nowhere. I'm only like, why don't Rice tonight, baby? So <laughs> he tells uh, – Vada Diva, hey man, somebody just knock him off for me one more time. So he tried to run off a screen, and as he was coming, I got, I cut him off and I just shoved him. I mean, talking about back in the day, we used to put two hands on the back and kind of do a little push, but I'm talking, about, I literally like shoved the crap out of him. And he just, he was off so furious. He was like, oh man, he's referee, he, you ain't seeing this. You ain't. But see, I got that from Derek Harper. You know, back in the day, Derek Harper used to play defense with the one hand on the hip. And it was legal. Yeah. It wasn't legal no more after a while. But if you was good enough to get close enough, you can push and shout. After, he, he, after the game, he said, man, I can't stand you. I was like, what's wrong, man? He said, man, you got my whole hip hurting, man. Uh-oh. He got, he got so excited about that story. He kicked him off Zoom. <laughs> there he is. Cool. Right. This is why you give your kids their own computers. I didn't realize this computer was dying, man. I apologize. <laughs> hey, no worries at all. I was I was gonna say that Glenn Rice cut your internet connection. <laughs> yeah, he cut it off. He it. But it was it was a good time though, man. I mean, I, I I pissed off a lot of guys. Um, the way I played defense though, back in those days. So it was that was my niche. That's so I I just rode it all the way out through the rest of my career. Just like. Being a guy who piss you off on defense. Yeah, and I mean, you talked about Derek Harper. He had to retire once I got rid of that hip checking rule. It seemed you like. <laughs> remember that though? You used to put the hip, the hand, and, and it was so effective. Like, you know, and, and and it was so smart. But his hand was so big, it was so effective. They had to get rid of it because it was controlling the offensive player so bad. So, yeah. Let me ask you an interesting question, um, and I kind of think I know the answer, but um, for the listeners. So you have a game like that against Robinson, a big dog, and you have a game like that against Rice. What's it like the next time you have to play those guys? Is there any mention of that, or is there yes. any? The media, the media eggs that's crap on. Um, you know, the media does a wonderful job of pissing players off to make them realize they had a bad game. So the next time they see you, they remember it, they put it in a locker room type crap, and they come out with a, 
agenda to bust your butt the next night. So right. Uh, I, I, <laughs> I had a feeling about that, but I was just curious, you know, because I remember the the whole John Starks, Reggie Miller stuff and, and, you know, certain guys like, so I was, I was wondering about that, you know, and you're talking about, you know, the business side of it with, you know, with the media, but the business side of the NBA is pretty ruthless from what we hear from some of the guests we've had on. Um, what could you tell us about the first time you got traded? You hopefully you didn't find out about it watching sports center or anything like that. Oh, no, no. Um, <clears throat> I knew it was, was going to happen. Um, when I was about to get traded, Randy Whitman uh, was a good coach. I'm not knocking the guy, um, but it was just wasn't a good fit for what he wanted to do. Um, I, I mean, I wasn't. It wasn't like I was going in the office saying, "Hey, I want to get traded. I want to do this." I was just wasn't enjoying myself anymore because it wasn't um, the style of basketball that I was used to. I mean, uh, he wanted to play super fast and get up all these shots, but. First of all, we had to have the talent to play that way. Like, Wesley Person couldn't dribble. He can shoot, but he couldn't dribble. So if you don't have a two-guard that can put the ball on the floor and create, you know, havoc, it was tough. And then uh, I think Derek Anderson was gone. So that he was kind of more of our playmaker, a point guard that was a scoring guard. So, you know, then we put, brought Bob Seward back into the lineup at the time. And then Lamont Murray had got signed – that year, you know, I wasn't upset about it. I was just felt like, okay, we can probably be good and be fast and be big, but the chemistry wasn't just there because Sean was still Sean Kemp. <clears throat> you know, he wasn't really. And then we again, we Sadrunis got hurt again. Uh, that hurt us again because we started off. If you go back and look at the, that first year he signed, uh, the first year we started with Randy, we started off pretty good, uh, but then boom, Sadrunis goes down. Then now we we were asking on guys like Vitaly Potapenko to give us minutes and be the guy that Shadrunas was and stuff like that. But, you know, I figured that then, – and then I broke my thumb. I, can't, I think I broke my thumb against Detroit. Uh, so it was like, oh, man, this sucks, you know. <laughs> it's like right. so things wasn't going right. So I kind of like, all right, you know, just – and then like me and Randy were never on the – same page type thing, you know what I'm saying? It wasn't nothing personal. It was just different philosophy, different concepts. You know, I mean, I, I didn't disrespect the man or anything like that. I just felt like I wasn't going to be a big part of what they were trying to do. Yeah. So I was hoping to get traded to Seattle. It's again, back to George yeah. call to Seattle. <laughs> back to the West Coast. And, it, and I think they had a deal with Golden State or something. And I knew that was just like a, you know, like, they do. You just put me here to ice me. Golden State suck. You know, yeah. they had. You know, it was me and Bob Sawyer going out that way. No, first I went to Philly. I went to Philly first, and I think that was more to get Matt Harper to Philly than I end up going to Golden State because I think they wanted Matt Harper because Matt Harper was I think he was a better three point shooter at the time than I was to to play along with Al Iverson, and then I ended up going to Golden State. So it was it was a I was more honestly, I I was more in tune to what was going on. I wasn't like, oh my God, just woke up and because I've seen it. I mean, I've seen guys, we've left guys in cities. <laughs> you know, we'll be <laughs> we'll be getting on the plane, like, hey man, where uh Tony at? Uh Tony back still you He in Dallas, you can't work. So, you know, that's just it happens that way sometimes. So, but uh 
you know, it, it was all about, to me personally, in my life, in my career, I just speak about what I know. It was more always trying to get to a coach that really can use what I can do. And it was hard getting to that guy. You know, I had some opportunities to get to, and I think the one chance I had to get back with uh, was Detroit. I played in the summer league. And then the crazy part about that, I played with Tayshawn Prince. It was a good season, good summer league. But I end up, I did something. I end up twisting my back real bad in a, in a game. So, you know, they look at you, oh, that's damaged good, you know, because we don't know what that's going to be like. So that's why I end up going overseas and saying, okay, I can just play overseas and just do this. Uh, but it was always trying to get to a coach and a system that fit what I do very well you know because and for a while I was like okay maybe I just need to show them I can shoot threes then it's like no that's that's not who I am because I'm not going to just start jacking 30 footers up and then if you miss it they just look at you crazy because your opportunity is is not is small uh so I just kind of just stuck to whatever now my thing my greatest chance was is when I played in Utah for a while um I spent about half a season there and but they end up getting Donnie Marshall and somebody else who was there. Uh, Donnie was six nine. He, you know, of course, was going to take him. You know, he was a better, better player at the time anyway uh, with Jerry Sloan. But he was old school, though. He liked what we what I was doing with him as far as defense, running the floor. Don't want a whole lot of shots. You know what I'm saying? Uh, so it was hard finding a new niche uh, for what I was able to do. You know, you bring up a good point about that, too, because with some of the guys we talk about, they say the same exact thing. And and what people don't realize is you got to be good to be in the NBA. There's 450 players. I mean, it's right. not like, you know, people will be like, oh, that guy sucks or that guy's a scrub. No, everybody belongs. You know what I mean? And, and, and the point about the right right place, right time, right coach it makes a huge difference. I mean, I mean, I knew I grew up playing basketball. I knew it was like that. Depending on what team I was on, if the coach liked me or didn't like me, I was getting more burn or I wasn't. And and I could see that being in higher levels. And especially if you're in if you're in a slow tempo offense, but you're an up tempo guy, it's, it's like two equals four. Right. It's just not it's not gonna make any sense. So you said you ended up in the Golden State for a season. People forget that Gilbert Arenas was on that team. You got any yes. you got any good Gilbert stories? <laughs> hey, yeah. You're talking about a different guy, man. Like, okay, so he goes by these big-ass dogs from Rockwallers. I don't know what they were. They was huge dogs, right? So you're thinking in his mind he will at least – we finna go on an East Coast trip for two weeks, right? What would you have done? You, are you a dog person? Oh, yeah. yeah. Said you, daughter, dog sitter. <laughs> right. Right. Common sense, right? Oh, no. He just let him running around the whole apartment. He come back shit at dogs. I was like, remember what the Dude was different. He was very different. But you know what, though? I tell people this all the time. When I first saw that guy play, though, in practice, this was in practice, and they weren't playing him at the first part of the year at all, right? And I said, yo, that dude there is special. Like, he was so fast, had big hands, had the hurt, you know, he had all that herky-jerky agility. I mean, he was just awesome. And, he, and you just like, man, if they just give this kid a chance, it's going to be over with. Yeah. And as soon as they did, it was over. But that guy was like, he will buy. I'm not saying he would buy. Okay. Let's say he would test drive a brand new car right. and just leave it at the arena and then go get another one. Like, what are you doing, <laughs> dude? 
That's a Gilbert. <laughs> like, like the wheel look like, oh, that's a nice car. Oh, that's Gilbert's. So then you'll see him pulling in with another car, like, hold on, wait a minute. He just <laughs> I'm like this dude. That's he was special. He, he was a different character. I never met a guy like him, like ever. As, yeah. as far as like his mind frame was just on a whole nother level. That's amazing. And when they gave him a whole lot of money, it just made it worse. <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's like adding, adding gasoline to the fire. I mean, yeah. <laughs> it, just, it just made it worse. It was just, he just made it worse. So, could you imagine being the dealership dealing with him? <laughs> right. Like, can, can I get my car? Lam- where's the Lamborghini? Oh, Gilbert just drove it to the arena and left it there. Yeah, it just left it over there. And just left somebody to go pick up. You got to go, go pick it up. I mean, he was just, he was just a different guy. Wasn't a bad guy, though. He was. He was he was just I don't know on some other stuff. <laughs> <laughs> so you uh you played the rest of your career overseas, um, and uh, did you have that mindset that you wanted to get back into the NBA by going overseas, or you just wanted to continue playing basketball? I just wanted to continue playing basketball, but I knew I had to show that I was willing to play. You know, whereas opportunity was. You know, one thing sure. about basketball: as soon as you stop. Like, if you stop, it's out of sight, out of mind. You know, yeah. you got to keep it going. Like, I even played in the NBDL a couple of years when it first started. Well, when it was the NBDL, now it's a G League. But I played it in a couple of years um, just to keep, you know, say, hey, I'm still playing, to let guys know I'm still playing, whatever. And um, so that was the, the biggest thing about that. And uh, overseas was good. I mean, it was like uh, it was like college in a sense. You know, you had two-a-days practice, you know, type deals and dorm room. So it wasn't, it wasn't as strenuous on the body as it was the NBA. Like I was like, I could probably do this for another 10 years, you know, because it was like you played on Monday and Friday and that was it, you know, and you didn't travel on planes a lot unless, unless we did FIBA games. And when we did FIBA games, we flew a lot of places, but a lot of times we were just, you know, right there in the same city, just driving to, it's like, it felt like I was driving around just playing in Memphis every day, you know, to just different gyms. So. Yeah, I think it was uh, Marcus Banks who we had on who was talking about all the crazy stories that happens overseas, like people throwing lighters at him and stuff. I mean, what's the craziest shit that you've seen overseas? First of all, you got to play. You got to when you play overseas, you got to get used to playing in cigarette smoke. Like they smoke cigarette <laughs> at halftime. Like, like <laughs> you go into halftime, you know, you think you're gonna get some water, get it right. Man, no, no, they out there. They they get they get them three, four cigarettes. Whoo, coach, they out there. Who like? Dude, you smoking a cigarette like at halftime? Like, what is going on? (laughs) (laughs) So it was definitely that. And then, like, if you playing like you know in a a foreign, so they had these shields on the bench, right, over your head. Like you sit on the bench, and they got these like hockey shields, you know. And I was like, yeah, you know, what the hell is this for? You know, you don't think nothing about it. You know what I'm saying? You just playing. You and as soon as you start beating the home team, (laughs) here comes the. Boom, boom, like, oh, shit. <laughs> what is going on? Like, what the crap? Like, it's like, man, like, they took pride. Like, yeah. it was some different pride stuff going on overseas. But it was fun, though. I mean, it was definitely definitely a life experience. Uh, I enjoyed it, you know. And, and, you know, I played in Belgium a couple times, right? And, uh, and I mean, they had some great arenas. You know, you, you don't think about these places. And you go, like, wow, man, this is – this is all right. And then until you 
you know, get the plan and you start, because you can't understand what's going on because they talking this whole different language. You seem to like, man, what the hell they say? <laughs> like, right, right. It was fun, though. I mean, and, and like you said, like you, you get some moments, man, out there and, and fans over there are just a whole different level of cheering and everything. They are so passionate about all their things. But I enjoyed it. I mean, I enjoyed all the places I played in. Well, it's like, it's almost like you look at it as almost like you could look at it as a vacation, like a paid vacation. I mean, the food had to yeah. been amazing. You're seeing parts of the world you wouldn't get to see normally unless you paid for a plane ticket to go and a hotel and all that stuff. And then, we got to play in Dubai. It was, I was like, because, you know, you think of Dubai, it's like, oh, man, this is going to be scary. You know, man, it's like, it was like Disney World. You know, you, yeah. you know, you, I'm seeing things I ain't never seen. Like I seen a, a plated nickel. Rolls Royce, like it was like a mirror. <laughs> like these guys got so much money, yeah. like it's crazy. Like in the best experience, I tell people is they they took us out to the desert. You know, after we won, they took us out to the desert. We had a big feast and stuff like that. Man, they had a tent. The tent was like a house. It was amazing. It was like so set up. It was it was great. You know, but it was like an experience I never ever spent. You know, like you said, unless you pay for it, you never think about experience that stuff. Like then, like they showed me how you can go skiing. You know, you in Dubai, you talking about? Hey, you want to go skiing? Like, how are we gonna go skiing in this Dubai? Like, they making their own snow, bro. <laughs> <laughs> like you living a life over here. Like, what's going on? Like, you know, so it was places you. I mean, I, I tell people all the time. I was like, that was some of the best experiences I ever had. Oh yeah. You know, Absolutely. I mean, I will tell our listeners real quick, you know, go on to Google and, and just do Google images of Dubai. You'll see some buildings that will blow your mind. I yes. mean, it's, it's amazing. It's, it's amazing. And like, like a lot of guys get to play over there. Um, when did you decide it was time for you to retire from basketball? Was there like a moment well, where you're like. Well, when I came home and you started seeing your kids when you leave, be three feet tall, and then they come home and they seven feet tall. Is <laughs> this this is not working anymore? And uh, so that's when I knew I was like, all right, I got to invest into some family time, you know, with my kids before I, before they don't know who I am. You know what I'm saying? Right. And uh, so I made that choice. It wasn't even a, like a second thought. You know, I think I did it to like I was 34, 35, and I was just like, all right, I'm good. You know, I I, I experienced life. So, and you got into coaching after that, right? Not right away. Not right away. And then that's when I started getting into it. Like, honestly, I didn't know if I what I was going to do as far as the next move. Uh, you know, but my son and my kids started getting into sports. And you know how that is. You know, oh, yeah. you know what I'm saying? Oh, yeah. Yeah. So I was like, all right, cool. I'll do it. And then I just kind of just took off from there. Yeah, it's a great feeling, isn't it? It's one of those things where it's like you kind of have those flashbacks of you playing as a kid, and then you start realizing, for me at least, I started realizing like the love of it when you're younger. You know what I mean? Because you you hit the highest level, so you know, like, and we hear from some guys. I think Marcus Banks talked to us about this too, where it was like basketball just doesn't become fun anymore because it's too much of a business. And you kind of forget that what it was like when you were like 12, 13, 14 playing ball with your friends. And that's all that mattered. You know what I mean? Girls right. didn't even back then. It was just basketball and having a good exactly. time. 
You wake yeah. up in the morning, you start at nine, you get one gym, and nine o'clock at night, you get another gym, you know, so. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? You got the boom box outside, listening to tunes, working on your game. Absolutely. You know, it's, it's funny watching my little dude play. He plays, I coach him with flag football, and I coach him with soccer, and it's like watching bees. You know what right. I mean? They're all just. <laughs> <laughs> you know I mean? The greatest thing is like, hey, everybody spread out. Nope, yeah. we go right. <laughs> nope, nope, right back. In. We're right back in. The- <laughs> you're not even doing anything. You know what I mean? Like, you're right. Like, oh, just, right. Just, but that was, those are moments that that's that's one thing I, I said. I had those are the moments that I wanted to make sure I I was able to see. You know, yeah. um, you know, most guys will sit there and play till they can't play no more, and uh, and I just kind of just started looking at my kids' faces, and it was like, hey man, you know, I I gotta be there. Yeah. Eyes and, and make sure these guys know who I am and, and make that sacrifice for them. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and, and you were recently coaching over at Southwest Tennessee Community College, and you actually got to coach your son, if I'm not mistaken. But, I mean, yeah. how rewarding was that, and what similarities does he have in his game to yours? Well, the first part it was it was great to be able to do it on a stage of, of, of that, you know what I'm saying? Because, you know, we did some AAU stuff together, and that was kind of it in high school. He played at Barcrest, which he had a good career. But to be able to do it on a stage where it was, you know, on a good level that everybody could get a chance to see us do it was like, whoa, you know, I was very proud of him. Um, now, as far as him, man, you know, I think he learned the game way faster than I did, you know, just from just being able to teach him um, things that I that I felt like were more important now because the game changed, you know. And I got used to tell him, I was like, you got you to gotta be able to hit a jump shot. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> you know, that was like, hey, one thing I learned, you got to hit a jump shot. You got to be able to shoot threes. So, uh, yeah. you definitely can shoot the ball very well. And then – and I was just, you know, working on his ball handling skills. And then the biggest thing, I think he's very good at it. He's he's a good defender. You know, I think that's big as, like I said, I, I mean, that's one of my strong points with defense. And and he's very smart. Uh, I tell people all the time when I when I got into coaching, I would love smart kids. I said that's why I love to watch a, a Villanova team. I mean, those guys are not the greatest skill guys in the world, but they're very smart. You know, they're very knowledgeable what they're doing. They execute. They understand what team basketball is, and that's what was what my son was. He was a very smart athlete, and uh, and he he excelled. You know, uh, and and he and he he was just so passionate about what he was doing. And I saw that a lot of that in him, like I was, you know, just wanting to do it because at some point in time, you got to tell your kids, you know, because when he was growing up, I'd let him play everything, baseball, football, whatever. I said, this is what you want to do. We're going to invest into it. We're going to do it the right way. And he took on it and just took off with it. Well, and especially nowadays, there's so much more outlets to do that than when we were kids. Right. I mean, it's crazy the amount of opportunities you have to advance your game. Uh, I wanted to ask you this real quick because I'm actually pretty curious. I know Zach's curious about this question too. Is what are your thoughts on Hardaway um, coaching Memphis and the job he's done and and how exciting it is maybe him being a Memphis alum getting recruits over there? I think it's been uh, a very good thing. I think he's done a wonderful job. Uh, I look at him growing as a coach. Uh, Every time I watch him coach, he's getting better at it. You know, people think it's just, you know, you get talent and you just win, but it's a lot more goes to this game than just getting the best team. It's getting the best recruits uh, as far as that. I think he's grown as a coach in the last couple of years. And 
And him getting the players he's getting has been awesome for the city because, you know, that's what we've been expecting. You know, we want the big names. I mean, Calipari, let's be honest, Calipari sported crap out of us, you know, yeah. what he did. Like, he bring in the Derrick Rose and the Tariq Evans, and that's what we want to get back to. You know, Memphis, we are very passionate about what we do. And when you didn't have that for so many, for so long, I mean, I think Josh Passioner had a good career here. I think, uh, I think Tubby Smith was doing a good job, to be honest with you. You know, we just didn't get, I don't, you know, eh, kind of not a fair chance, but, you know, then you have this guy, and then you have Anthony come in, who's doing a great job. I mean, like, you knew he was going to bring a James Wiseman, a DJ Jeffries, uh, these Le- Lester Cleonis and these guys, you know, people who that's what we want to see. And I think he's done that part of the job. And he, and then the biggest thing he has gave life back into Memphis basketball. Cause for a second, and let's be honest, we was a, almost a football team for a while. <laughs> when was that? And like, I was like, Oh dude, are we going to actually going to the football games now? Like, <laughs> Like, we didn't spend millions and millions of dollars every year to do this arena. We still won't go to it. But uh, but he has done a fantastic job. I'm very happy for him. Uh, I think this is what I've been kind of, like, wishing to happen for a long time because you look at North Carolina, you know, those guys play for that school, they coach at that school, and they, you know, they get those opportunities. I think it's since Larry Finch was the last guy to really actually do that, I think it's been a great opportunity for Anthony to kind of do that. And hopefully we can continue that trend and make it a brotherhood to continue to get guys who want to pursue coaching in that aspect to give those guys those opportunities and groom and grow like the Dukes in the North Carolina and the Kansas. And, you know, those, those guys, alumni, they go out and get jobs, but they still come back when they need, you know, those guys and they make that relationships. Well, and the story is amazing too. I, I, I don't know if you saw the 30 for 30 on – I mean, that was amazing. That was such a, you know, to think that's where he started essentially his coaching career and, Mm -hmm. and what he did. I mean, that was just, it was really cool to see. And I root for him, you know, because I remember him, his game. I mean, God, he was, he's one of those guys where another knee, the knee injuries betrayed him. I mean, he would have been easily top 50 talked about, you know, Mm -hmm. if he had a career that he should have had, I mean, those Penny Shack years in the beginning, I mean, Boy, he boy, he was. We still, we, still, we still do the if they would have just shut up and just been business and just stayed yeah. together. I mean, you talking about? I, I could have seen them winning four or five titles. Oh, easily, easily, easily. You know? I mean, that that do you? So you think that that '95 series? You know, there's a lot of interesting. There's a lot of interesting takes on that. But do you think that '95 series really was the 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 straw that broke the camel's back for Shaq leaving? I think it was a lot of immaturity on both parts of that, that era. You know, when you go back and look at it, you know, you talking to a 45 year old Cedric now and then compared to a 20 year old guy, I think Shaq at that time, you know, was feeling like, okay, I'll come back if certain things happen, you know, yeah. and you got to think you got two young men, a lot of money, a lot of arrogance, a lot of egos, you know, and Shaq was like, shoot, I'm going to show y'all I'm the biggest thing out here, you know. And it happens. And it, and it happens. You see it even today. I mean, look at Kevin Durant just saying, you know what, man, look, looking at OKC and saying, you know what, I'm out. Yeah. You, you feel what I'm saying? Like, Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. 
you telling me you couldn't have, you couldn't have potentially maybe won a championship there? Maybe because you had James Harden, you no. Know, and I know he ended up leaving again his money, but you know it's kind of like an immature thing. Like I think um, they, I think I, I don't know. Did you see when Shaq kind of did an apology to him? Uh, was it on the thirty for thirty, or was it on something else? I think. I think it was on something else. It was on something, but you did you remember they were sitting at the pool and he kind of like, yo, I, I want to apologize to you. So you yeah. knew something personal happened between those two guys, and you you go like, man, what if that didn't happen? What if they were just still great friends and they moved on and they got to that to that and kept that level? Because if you think about it, only team that was uh, a threat to them really was Chicago Bulls. Yeah. Nobody else can touch that team. I mean, like you had Shaq and Penny. You mean it was it was tough. You, you know, the two things, there was one guy had a really good YouTube series and he was talking about how Rodman pretty much owned Shaq. And he broke down like when Rodman would guard Shaq and this is when Shaq was in Orlando, would just shut him down and Shaq ended up going to the other conference not to deal with Rodman. And, and I mean, you know, he's not making Shaq poo in Orlando, right? you know what we, i mean there's so much stuff he wanted to do and he wasn't going to do in orlando and he, he went for the big lights but i agree with you said i think that team i mean you had dennis scott you had i mean you got guys all on that team man oh god horace grant was amazing i mean there was guys and and grant was hungry you know what right. I mean? He wanted to show he was the he he could have been the man outside of Chicago because he really took that third seat. You know what I mean? Behind so him. If, if you go back and watch those Bull stories, you know, you, you saw a little attitude. Yeah. You know? Oh no, I didn't say that. Yes, you did. Yes, you did. <laughs> <laughs> Underrated man. He was he was an important piece of that Orlando team. He was an important piece of that Chicago team. Yeah, we're, I mean, we're definitely doing revisionist history, but I I definitely think that Orlando team would have definitely given Chicago major problems once they got the maturity level up. Like you said, hey, we're going to do a quick lightning round with you, if you don't mind. It's a simple one or two word answer. Zach's going to ask you some questions. Um, and then, like I said, just one or two words. Zach, you want to take over? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, the first question is, who's the one coach that had the biggest impact on your career? Uh, I'm going to say Mike Fratello. Uh, yeah. Mike Fratello was definitely that guy. Okay, and uh, who's the one guy that taught you how to be a true professional? Um, man, I'm going to say, well, there's a lot of guys. I mean, I got a list of them. Um, but I'm, I'm going to say, I'm going to really say my cousin David Williams. You know, he was uh, a real hardworking guy. You know, he's always told me just, you know, keep your head up and keep doing what you do and do it because you love it. Nice. And uh, who's the one player that you could just never figure out how to guard? Kobe Bryant, man. You know, like, <laughs> dude was awesome, yo. <laughs> 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 was awesome, yes. yo. He was just awesome. He was just, he was like a Michael Jordan on steroids. Yeah. Like, he had a jump shot. Like Mike wouldn't shoot threes. Kobe would shoot threes. So and he was in his handles was I think he, Michael had good handles. I mean, he had some good stuff, but Kobe handles was like that new uh, new age handle, like yeah. the you know with the swag with it. So he had some stuff that like I, people don't realize he was doing the snatchback before the snatchback was even called a snatchback. You know, so yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Just the reaction on your face said everything I needed to know. So <laughs> he was a beast. Um, 
you played against some amazing players in the 90s, but who's the best shit talker? Oh, man, Sam Cassell. Oh, <laughs> man, Sam Cassell can talk shit. I mean, like, oh, dude, all day long. I'm going Sam Cassell every day, all day, every day. He don't want to hoop today. He with the shit. So I, I, this is a funny – I got to tell you the story. So yeah, dude, dude. I, we were playing with Milwaukee, and I'm working out for Milwaukee, and, and I was like, oh, Sam, I'm going to go to the hotel take a nap. He said, man, what are you, a baby? You want a bottle? You know, he's just, he just that guy. He's like, he's talking shit to me. I'm like, what you mean? I'm just tired. That man, damn, you taking naps like you're three years old, man. What do you – you want to get you a warm bottle and some titties? And I'm like, damn, man, this give me a hard time, right? <laughs> he just busted my ass. Like, so, yeah, Sam Cassell for sure is definitely the best shit talker. Like, that dude can run his mouth. <laughs> yeah, and sometimes you don't even know what he's saying, and that's the best part. So. True that. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> he talks too fast. He's like, huh? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, what's the weirdest superstition that you or a teammate had throughout your career? Well, mine was definitely wearing, uh, like, if I had a great game, like, I had a couple good games in a row, I would wear the same damn socks. Like, wouldn't want to wash them. I mean, they'll still be kind of stinky a little bit. I wouldn't care. <laughs> Shit, I had a good game in these <laughs> So uh, that was that was definitely mine. Wearing the same socks after spread, the, you know, a great game. So okay. And uh, what about your career? Are you most proud of? Oh man, um, everything really. I mean, I was just I was happy because um, you know I was a guy who was not looked upon to be even make it. So. I just said I accomplished things that most people haven't accomplished. And then to me was like just being able to say I did it and got there was definitely that. Um, one of my biggest, biggest thing is just being to say, hey, I played in the NBA is one of the biggest accomplishments I, I have. Yeah. And uh, the last one that I have for you is what is your favorite basketball memory if you had to pick just one? You know, I'm going to say – when we won, uh, well, I got, can I say two of them? I got two. Yeah, okay, absolutely. I got when I when I made it to the rookie All Star game, I thought I was just I was so like overwhelmed. Like, dude, I didn't even have a suit. That's that's that lets you know I wasn't even thinking about it. Like, I had to go run out and get a suit because I never had one. I was still wearing sweats like I was in college. So that was definitely one of, my, one of my proudest, one of the greatest moments too. And then uh, winning the NBDL championship, um, we won it uh, down in Mobile with uh, Sam Vincent as the head coach. And um, it was amazing, you know, because, you know, we had Shea Seals, uh, Hood, uh, I can't think of the other guy's name, but we had like, just a lot of different characters on that team. And they, they used to call us the banished guys, like just <laughs> the old cats. So, uh, Fed, uh, Jeff Capel, who was coaching Fedville Patriots team, was they were the favorites to win. And when we beat them, it was like, yeah, we, we, we still can play this game because we were the older cats. They had all these young cats and guys who would play in the NBA and getting called up and all that. So, they were just kind of cocky. So, when we beat them, we was like, yeah. Yeah, we we hear it, you know, and it was it was great. So that was that was a great moment too. Awesome. Um, I want to say real quick before we get you out of here, um, we super enjoyed this conversation with you. I mean, you gave us so much great stuff. We laughed a ton. Really appreciate your time. I mean, you're very generous with it today. Is there anything you want to add or promote before we let you out of here? 
Oh, no. I enjoyed you guys. Um, you know, I'm not one of those guys who do a lot of promoting and ad and all that stuff, but uh, I appreciate you guys taking the time to reach out to me. And it's always good to be acknowledged, you know, as, as, as you get older, you start remembering what these old people are saying and then you start saying, okay, you know what? It makes sense now. So, <laughs> <laughs> so I'm, I'm going to leave it alone now. So, but, uh, but yeah, I appreciate you guys, man. And, you know, other than that, man, you know, ho- hopefully y'all be talking to my son one day and that saying, Hey, good. Good, good. That, that would be awesome. Um, Zach, you want to add anything before we let Mr. Cedric out of here? Yeah, I just want to say thank you. It was awesome talking to you. You're somebody that I always admired growing up and watching and played an NBA Live with and everything. So <laughs> it was super cool to be able to hear your story and hear your experiences. And, I mean, yeah, hopefully we'll have your son on one day. I mean, that'd be awesome, you know. So best of luck to you and your son. All right, thank you, guys, man. Y'all have a blessed day, man. You, you too. too. Stay safe. Thank you. Another great interview in the books. He's awesome, man. What a Dude, great he's guy. He's probably our funniest guy that we've had on. Yeah, just awesome energy, great personality, um, honest dude. Just everything about him. I, I really enjoyed it. Yeah, yeah. The Gilbert Arena stuff was amazing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'll never have Gilbert watch my dogs when I'm out of town. Oh, right, right. Or, or you're not going to let Gilbert borrow your car anytime soon either, right? Yeah, but really cool to just hear him also talk about young Gilbert becoming a star too, how he could just see it, how different he was and how herky jerky he was. Cause Gilbert did have an interesting game where you had like a mix of like your YMCA old man's game along with the athletic ability. It was really, really different for that time. He's really one of those first guys to have that. You never knew if he was going to put 50 on you. you oh, you knew. <laughs> you know, but I mean, you know I'm saying though, like he was just one of those guys that like he had no issues scoring. Yeah, you just didn't know how much he was going to score. I mean, he was, you know, crazy character for sure. Um, yeah, it was a great interview. I really, really enjoyed it. And I, I enjoyed the points about Memphis basketball and like having people come back like some of the bigger schools do. You know what I mean? Like having, having former players coach there. And it does help the recruiting. The other thing that was interesting was how many Memphis guys were on that team because you don't see that happen nowadays. It's like, you got a school, you might have some Cali kids, but then maybe you got a kid from Washington or a kid from Florida or, I mean, to have that many guys on that same team from that same city, that's, that's rather impressive. And it does make a difference because the chemistry is huge. You know what I mean? Yeah. And like you said, with the off season, kids aren't going away for college. They're staying in Memphis. So the off season, like you said, you know, competitive practices. And I think that makes a difference. And you could tell because this freshman year, they didn't make a tournament his sophomore year, they go to the Sweet 16. And, I mean, I think that says a lot about the chemistry that was built over that summer. Um, So I'm really glad that we were able to talk about that. Um, And also, going back to Penny coaching now, I think it's so huge that he's coaching there. And people forget he uh, coached AAU for years in the Memphis area. So he's going to draw a lot of big-time recruits and a lot of kids staying in the hometown to play there. And I think we're going to start seeing a lot more of that. They remember him. He's legend there for sure. Um, speaking of that type of stuff and legends, congratulations to the Lakers for winning the title. Um, you know, LeBron's etching up that that pantheon. I mean, the guy, the numbers he's putting up at his age is just unbelievable. Rondo coming correct in that final game, 19-4-4. and um, That team, you know, on paper was hard to beat, but I think – 
they really came together in the playoffs. Once they had that little scare, you know, when Portland beat them that first game, and then it was kind of like, all right, we got to get our shit together. And you just you saw a really you saw a really strong team. But I, I, one guy I want to give credit to, and I don't think he gets enough credit. I mean, he he does now, but Jimmy Butler is just such a complete player. He does not get the respect he deserves, in my opinion. He gets the bad teammate thing, which I don't think is true personally. Um, but that kid played his heart out in that series. I mean, he yeah. willed that team with all the injuries they had in the finals. He willed that team to hang in as, as best as they possibly could. So much props to Jimmy Butler. Yeah. And uh, one thing everybody says, Rondo's the first Lakers Celtic to win a title with both teams. Don't forget about Clyde Lovett. He was the first to do it. So Rondo is the second. I'm tired of people saying Rondo's the first because Clyde Lovelett is the first. I love it. Still a great accomplishment. What year? Like the 50s and 60s. That's probably why people forget. But, I mean, know your history, kids. Know your history. I was going to say, (laughs) lock your kids in the basement watching old VCR tapes of the 60s and 70s basketball. Well, I think they said on ESPN. I'm just like, that's not true. That's not – no. Like, (laughs) don't forget about Clyde. Damn. It's amazing with how much analytics and, and, and software that they have, how many times they screw up on oh, yeah. facts. It's pretty nuts, actually, to be honest with you. So Yeah, you can't trust the internet. We learned that with uh, Eddie Gill. Where we're like, oh, you're born in wherever. Yeah. He's like, nope, that's uh, Wikipedia lying or, again. So. Or what, was, what was the other guy where, where, where you thought he worked as a as – as a dog catcher, <laughs> it's DJ Watson, man. Uh, everybody always told me that. Oh, he's a dog catcher. And then I asked a question. He's like, uh, no. <laughs> um, hey, so uh, stay safe and whatnot. We got some more guests coming up. I'm excited about one of the guests that we have coming up that no one, uh, no one's going to know, but hopefully some people will pick up his book after they listen to the interview because it's very entertaining. I'm about nine chapters in right now. And it's, uh, it's, there's a lot of good little nuggets in there. A lot of cool stories. If you're a fan of nineties basketball, you're going to love this podcast coming up. And we got some other guys that are really exciting. And we got some Nevada alums, you know, coming on the show too. So a lot of great stuff happening in the pipe. So our little pitch we do only takes a second, but if you could subscribe to us or, or like us or review us, any of those things, it helps. We are charting now in nine countries, which is insane, even though we had the debate if Hong Kong was a country or not. Um, that was pretty, pretty classic. But um, it's amazing. We, 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 we charted in Greece last week, you know, and Bulgaria and all these places. Like, you know, it's, it's absolutely amazing. So thank you for that all the stuff that you guys are doing with the, with the retweets and, you know, people like Antoine Walker retweeting us and things like that. It helps. I mean, obviously we're, we're getting, we're getting to people we never thought we would get to. And we're getting guests like Cedric Hendrickson and, and Marcus Banks, CJ Watson, Charlie Ward, all these guests we're getting because of you guys, because we're starting to generate a little bit of buzz. So thank you very much for all that stuff. We do really appreciate you guys. Um, anything you want to add before we get out of here? Just another thanks to Mr. Henderson. Just had so much fun. Uh, great episode. Really enjoyed it. And thanks to the listeners again for helping us chart. Go back and listen to some other episodes. I can tell you now the Esteban Weaver one is amazing. So if you haven't listened to that, uh, I mean, he was LeBron before LeBron. Great story. Important message for the younger listeners especially. So make sure you check it out.
And he's got a great documentary out too. So if you like the pod, you can learn more about him by watching the documentary he's got too. So, all right, my brother, enjoy. Looking forward to our next podcast. Everybody stay safe out there. Not My House is out.